I'm going to show you exactly how much it's going to cost you to retire. I'm George Markoski, and welcome to the Positive Property Show. Our mission is to empower 10,000 people to create financial freedom through property using the Markoski method. Join us. Hello and welcome, George and Christina Markoski, Positive Property, coming to you live. I'm going to put. I'm going to put in the chat. Hello, Freedom Fighters. How's everyone doing tonight? That's right. It's Thursday night, and this is our fun night. Now, look, I really look forward to Thursday night, but especially tonight. I'm really excited because, one, I'm going to talk about interest rates because a lot of people have been asking questions. I, I get inundated. People are sending me emails and messages on Facebook going, what's going to happen if interest rates go up? I'm going to talk to you about that. But also, I'm going to show you exactly how much it's going to cost you to retire. Cool. Yeah. To I know there's a lot of people recently who have been questioning and asking for your retirement calculator. Yep. And what I've done is I've created a retirement calculator. I did this quite a few years back probably 15 years back, and it's still an amazing tool. And this calculator, you just plug in the numbers and you find out how long. Because the deal, the deal is you've got to get real. you really got to get real. Absolutely. You have to get serious about you know your retirement, about your life, about your future. But before we get into that, I just wanted to really quickly let everyone know, everyone who is uh, joining us on the Facebook Live session, you may or may not know, we've actually got a podcast so if you haven't, head on over, check us out. or on iTunes. It's The Positive Property Show with George Markoski. That's The Positive Property Show with George Markoski. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, on Spotify. Spotify, you name it. Come on and check us out. And or I'd if you're listening to the podcast, come on over to our Facebook group, Australian Property Chat. That's right. Now, okay, so the deal is um, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be offering the retirement calculator at the end and putting the link, right? So... You know, so what's going to happen is if you're on the podcast, on YouTube, anywhere else like that, what you need to do is go into the Australian Property Chat, join our Facebook group to get the link for the free training. You're going to get the calculator, the PDF, the workbooks, and the video. Because tonight I'm going to do the full training and explain to you exactly how to do it. I'm going to show you exactly what it's going to take for you to replace your income through property. And for those of you watching us live, don't forget to drop a hashtag live. Let us know you're here. Say hello. Hashtag live. I know many of you watch the replays. Actually, quite a few of you. Most of you watch the replays. If you watch the replay, type in hashtag replay. And then I know you're watching. I keep a little eye on you. And I know that um, you're there. Because, look, people that pop up more often, right, I know that you're on your your way. So that way when we do meet, it's not, um, you know, a cold start. It's nice and warm. You know, because I always hear people, you know, the people that do hashtag live or hashtag replay, I get to see your names and I remember you. And, you know, we're going to meet one day or later. So you never know, especially when this COVID thing's over. You never know. It's going to be happening. Absolutely. We'll, we'll all catch up for a coffee. Yeah. So I guess the first thing I want to talk about is interest rates in the property market because a lot of people are scared. And well, yeah, there's been a lot of talk of oh, interest rates. What if they go up? You know, what's going to happen to the property market? Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people have been talking about interest rates. And let's, let's talk, let's d- dive deep on interest rates, which is important. One thing is interest rates in the whole world, um, everyone's, every country's got a, like a reserve bank, right? We've got the RBA called the Reserve Bank of Australia. Then they've got the Federal Reserve of America and whatever other country they've got. 
Now, what happens is the Reserve Bank of Australia, they actually choose what our current interest rate is in our country. They control everything. They're like the first tier, right? Yeah, they control everything. And what they do really, what, what the Reserve Bank does is they decide, do we print more money? Do we print less money? Do we put the interest rate up? Do we put it down? What do we do? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to increase GDP, which is gross domestic product. Now, the funny thing is they're not experts at this, so they try different ways of doing things and they just fumble around. And quite frankly, a lot of times they get it wrong. And what does gross domestic product mean, George? Gross domestic product means how much money the economy is creating in Australia. It's Australian gross GDP, right? Gross domestic product, right? And then what you've got is you've also got um, then our trade um, trade deficit or trade surplus, right? Which is another part, which this goes into it as well. So what happens is a trade deficit is when we buy more things from overseas, like we're importing all the stuff from China, but we're not selling a lot of stuff overseas. That's a trade deficit. Then the trade surplus is we're getting all our iron ore out, all our coal out, but we're not buying a lot of stuff because it's self-sufficient and therefore we've got more money in the bank. Does that sort of follow through? Yes. Is everyone getting this? So countries are always trying to get a trade surplus. Because when you want to be exporting more than you're buying so that yes. you're creating more wealth in the country? That's right. You want to export more than you buy. Very good, Christina. And what happens is the RBA, what they do, right, is they try to lower the value of our currency, which makes our products cheaper, so we export more, import less. Right. Okay. But I've always been against that. Because wouldn't it devalue our product? Um, well, what it does makes our product cheaper, yes. And so what happens is, so they've always been saying, oh, we need to lower our, the dollar, the value of the dollar. But I think the opposite. But you know, you know me. I, I'm I'm like the Warren Buffett contrary investor, and I do the opposite of what most people are doing. That's why I become so successful. And seriously, as a country, if we did the opposite, we'd do better, because a strong dollar means that. So if you think about it this way, if you lower your dollar, you get more exports, but you're getting less money for what you're getting because you're getting a trade right. So that's, well, it's worth less. Yes, you don't have to then make more money to equal what closer to an American dollar might be. So it might make our exports cheaper, but it's only making them cheaper because our dollar's worth less. We can buy less for what we're selling them for. So to me, that's just ridiculous. Redonkulous. Seriously. So what I think is better is having a strong dollar and then the government gives an incentive and helps people if they want to export. So that way you're still losing money but only on small things, but you're gaining money when you're buying. So for example, so for example, you know, if I work 10 hours for a certain amount of dollars and the Australian dollar is strong, I'm getting a lot more value whenever I'm buying things than if I work 10 hours and the Australian dollar is low and I'll buy something online, it's going to cost me too much. Mm. So comparatively, it's better to actually have a strong dollar. Now, the one country that's got this correct is England. I was about to say, yeah, the UK. So the sterling, they've always maintained and kept that really strong because their monetary policy is let's keep our pound strong so we can buy everything dirt cheap from overseas 
But also think about this. Um, let's say, for example, I'm a big company. I want to do a takeover. And I've got pound sterling here. And I go to Indonesia. I can buy that company for next to nothing. You're rich. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Rather be rich than poor, right? So it does make sense. So anyway, let's get off that topic. But so I'm really a proponent. I want a strong Australian dollar. I don't know if you have a few contrarian views tonight. Great. And how does that affect interest rates and property in Australia? Okay. I'm sure you're going to tie it all in. Yeah. So the Australian dollar affects the trade deficit and trade surplus. And at the moment, Australia's got a trade surplus. We're doing really well. Because what's happened is because of the supply and demand chain, when it comes to commodities, when it comes to oil, coal, iron ore, they've all gone through the roof. So we're going through a, a massive commodity boom. So everyone from overseas is buying our stuff. Yes. And what happened was China decided they didn't want to buy our stuff. So then Saudi Arabia started buying our stuff and everyone else started buying it. Now China want to buy our stuff again. So everyone's I'm buying crawling it. back. They, they're, they're spending more money now than what they were a year ago with Australia. So you know how we had this whole trade war with, with China? That was a I lot of media hype. About that. I yeah. really well, we had, we had a little bit of a trade war and maybe with wine and some other things that's happened and lobsters, but when it comes to minerals, when it comes to coal, see, our coal in Australia is very high quality. And China have got a lot of power plants and if they want to use our, if they want to change and buy coal from India or somewhere else, and their coal's practically really crap, right? It's nothing compared to ours. They're going to have to rejig and spend millions redoing their thing to be able to use that coal, and it's not as good. So using the high-quality coal, you've got less carbon emissions, it's much better. There's a lot of better things about it, right? You know, a lot of people, some people are against coal, some people like it, I get it. But regardless if you like coal or not, um, clean coal is better than dirty coal. What's the difference? Well, the, the higher the quality of the coal, the less stuff that goes into the atmosphere and the more energy you get out of cooking it and using it. Is that because they've just um, spent less energy extracting it? No, no, no. Um, the purity. If it's more pure, you can run your machines cleaner and use it better. Right. Okay. Look, renewables are taking over anyway very soon. It's amazing. Mm. Renewables. I mean, South Australia had two days, 100% renewables last year. And we're going to build on that more and more. It's going to be great. Electric cars are coming out now. Yep. So Exciting. at the moment, what's happening with interest rates? Well, Northern Europe, they're experimenting with negative interest rates. They've been doing that for a while, though. They have, and they're still doing it. And now America are thinking about going negative as well. So... This whole new trend now is to go negative. And so what I'm saying is, one, our interest rates may not go up for a while anyway. So just so I can ex understand this a bit better, George, does that mean that they're actually paying you to get a loan? Is that what negative means? <laughs> they're paying the banks to take their money and give it to people. Yes. Like, and if I were to get a loan in one of those countries, let's say I'm a citizen, I'm buying a property there, they would then pay me to get a loan for that property? Because you've got to pay a few fees and stuff, you don't get paid for it, but it's almost next to nothing. Right. However, if you're in that country and you've got money in the bank, they're charging you to have money in the bank. So it's like free money as long as you're investing it. If you're investing it, you're getting almost, almost free. But if you've got your money in the bank, they're charging you actually each month you get less money. Yeah. And part of the reason is if 
all the money in the economy is in the bank, nothing happens. Oh, so everyone's hoarding their money. If, see, if people hoard their money, nothing happens. Yeah, it needs to flow, it needs to change hands. Because money only works when it's moving, mm. right? A lot of people got this wrong in the old days and what people think, you know, save all your money. That's a very old school way of doing things, right? So right? old school. Right, but you know what? The, the challenge is that... Get your money out of the banks. Absolutely. Get money out of the banks. That's right. Exactly. Um, especially over there because they're charging you. So what people are doing is they're actually driving They're driving to another country <laughs> and putting their money in the bank and they've stopped them now from doing that. <laughs> they're going to have to smuggle it across the border in diamonds or something. Yes, like yes, exactly. Because you, you can only, only take 10,000 US overseas, whatever. So that's uh, the limit. But over there, because you've got borders that I've got no no checkpoints, you can actually take as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Put money in property. Hey. Not a bad idea. <laughs> Do you expect interest rates? Oh, you can read that the questions. I'll answer them. Do you expect interest rates to go negative here in Australia? Look, when it comes to the RBA, they're unpredictable. Mm. And you never know. And it all depends on what idea they're thinking of they're, they're they're trying their best they're going to think of ideas and it all yeah. depends on what, what it all depends what other countries do so if america goes negative and, yeah, and then england go negative and all that we might copy and follow suit if america doesn't go negative we aren't going negative either mm. right we sort of tend to copy what the big boys do so for example america are printing billions and billions of dollars every week and we are too and the reason we're printing so much money is not because we need to. We're printing money to keep the Australian dollar low. So that's where it comes in. So you know the RBA at the moment is printing $4 billion a week. And the only reason they're doing that is to keep the Australian dollar low because our Australian dollar is going to go too high. As far as I'm concerned, bring it up because then I can go on holiday and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, look, when the Australian dollar is high, I love going on holiday. When you go on holiday and the Australian dollars, like I remember when the Australian dollar was so high, it was higher than the American dollar, just about anyone except for England. And you'd go somewhere, and no matter what you bought, it was dirt cheap, and you just spend money like like you're a billionaire. It was good fun. Oh. Absolutely. Anyway. The only way is up, especially if there's a wage increase. Um, yes. So yeah, they have said that if wages and CPI index goes up and we have a real wage increase, that that the interest rates will go up. So they're predicting the interest rates may go up in the next year or two. Okay. And now that comes down to what is that? How is that going to affect property? Well, let's look into this. What do you think the national average loan size for unoccupied dwellings is? I don't know. $574,000. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So just over half a mil. Yeah, just over half a mil. So it's not a very big loan compared no. to... I mean, because you think with all these million-dollar properties, you'd think it'd be much higher, right? So the average loan is not Here that... In Australia, big. we've got a very high percentage of um, people actually owning properties outright. Yeah, probably one of the highest. Now, one thing that's happened recently, I must say, is owner-occupiers have gone down. There's less people that own properties now than there was 10 years ago. Interesting. So what's happening is we're slowly getting less owner occupiers and more investors into the market. More people rent vesting. 
Yes, rent vesting, but a lot of, well, the rent vesters, they're, they're investing in property, so they're not, they're buying property. But a lot of people saying, stuff it, we're just going to rent, enjoy our lives, and not worry about the headaches. Some people just can't be bothered, especially a lot of the millennials. They're like, stuff it. Because, you know, everything's become, I mean, pretty soon they're going to be renting cars, they're renting houses, they're renting everything. Because everything's on subscription-based now, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, like, ownership of things is going down in general. Like, you used to own CDs, DVDs, and now we sort of just rent everything. Like, if we've got Netflix, it's just a streaming service. You know, Spotify, we don't own the music anymore. We subscribe to it. So the whole world's going that way, and I think it's going to go that way with cars next. And then, yeah, potentially. It's going to happen with property as well. Now, the thing is, like, for example, with cars, it's cheaper to get an Uber than own a car. Wow. Right? And it's cheaper to rent where you want to live than to own the property where you want to live if you want to live somewhere nice. Hmm. But, um, you know, the thing is, the fact of it is that everything's going from from as expensive, right? Absolutely. Everything keeps developing too fast to warrant buying, especially when it comes to technology. Yeah, like, yeah. I think about this um, DSLR camera that I spent like over $5,000 on. It was obsolete in a few months. And I was like, oh, there's another version out now that's way better. And yeah. I just spent all that money. No. <laughs> so I was like, I would have been much better off just renting the camera. Yeah. It's what's happened with everything. Everything's getting um, basically demonetized, getting cheaper, getting democratized, more access to everyone. Um, it's just getting easier, right? And because of that, people have got more money to spend on stuff. Mm. So, um, so the average in, the average interest um, um, owner occupier loan size is five hundred seventy four thousand. So they're not racking up millions of dollars on stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's the fact. Now the thing is, if interest rates went up on five hundred seventy four thousand, your weekly your weekly um, Payments would go up maybe $50, $60, Now, $50, $60, and your owner occupier is not going to kill anyone. No. Right? It's not going to be, it's not going to put them out of business, most people that have got a house with that big mortgage because that house is probably worth about eight hundred, nine hundred thousand. So if someone's got a $900,000 house, if they're going to pay an extra $50 or $60, $70 on their house, it's not going to do a lot of difference. Right. So that's one of the things. Now, we've experienced record capital growth and rental rates, right? Um, rental rates are growing at the fastest pace in the last 10 years. That's pretty awesome. If you've got investment properties, whoop, <laughs> Yep. Now, the thing Money is... The bank. Now, the thing is, I always look at history. You know what Mark Twain said? History doesn't repeat, but it sure does rhyme. And I look at history, and what history shows is that interest rates do not force property markets into booms or busts, right? It's more about affordability, local economic conditions, and basically consumer sentiment. And one more thing is actual access to lending, right? So before COVID, there was going to be a boom before COVID, but APRA came down and made it really difficult to borrow money, and that stifled that boom. So what we're seeing now is just that boom that wanted to come out two or three years ago. Well, it's the rebound effect, which is yeah. always going to happen when you restrict something. It's a bit like um, a dam holding back 
all that flood water and then the dam bursts and it's like bang and then you get that rebound. Okay, yeah. So so basically um, what we had is we had APRA stop lending, really make it tough. And then we had COVID stop people from selling. So we restricted it doubly. So now there's extra pressure on people wanting to get property. Right? And the thing is, you shouldn't get FOMO, try not to get FOMO because there's a lot of stuff there. Now, someone's asked another question. Do you want to go through that question, Christina? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So if you owned a property outright in an area which has given some growth and decline in rent, would you recommend selling or pulling out equity? Explain why it's not ideal to own a property outright. Okay, well, good question. There's, there's quite a few questions there, right? So I'm going to try to cut those questions down into manageable bite-sized pieces, right? Would you recommend selling or pulling out equity? I normally recommend pulling out equity. I normally don't want to sell no matter what, depending where the property is. So there's 16,000 suburbs in Australia. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm in a suburb that's going to experience growth. But if I'm in a, if I'm, if I'm in a large regional centre or capital city of my property, nine times out of ten, I'm not selling. Right? Even if there's a decline in rent, it's going to go back up again. Rent's going to go up, it's going to go down, one of those things. Now, if you've got a unit slash apartment, right, in the CBD, that's different. Their rent's declining. That's also the property's declining. I'm not a big fan of that, and I'd probably get rid of that. And, but I would, I, even before doing that, I always would want to do a lot of research, get someone that knows what they're doing to go through the numbers with me and be really clear. I don't want to sell something on a whim. Mm. I want to be 100% sure I need to sell because selling property is the worst way to make money in property. You make money when you buy property and hold it and it goes up, right? And the important thing is you really, buying properties where you make your money, but only if you do it properly and you really put the effort in to get in the right research and get in the right property, get in the right system, so it's positive cash flow and everything else like that, right? So what I was saying is um, if you're buying your first property, you're better off renting and buying investment property because it's much more powerful, it's gonna pay your property off. And I'd rather have a few properties that are paying me and working for me before I do anything like that. And if you already got an owner occupier, there's no point selling it, take the equity out and start buying investment property. You know, put it this way, I've been investing for 25, 30 years. And if I look back, what would I have done differently? What's the one thing I'd do differently? I would have bought more property. That's it. <laughs> right? Simple. And you know, and I really feel like when you look back, if I look back 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, I'm thinking, wow. And now what's going to happen is when you look back towards now in five years, 10 years, 15 years, you're going to kick yourself if you haven't bought lots of property. You're going to go, what the hell was I doing? Why? Mark my words. Come back in five years and watch. If you think they're expensive now, you wait. Exactly. Exactly. You wait. Give it two years, five years, 10 years. You'll be looking back going, wow, they were actually pretty cheap. Look, in the 90s, I was paying 9% interest. And properties were still going up. Absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, George. We'll get on to the next questions. 
Why do people say don't buy a house now because rates are going up and keep wait until correction of price? Some people will. Good luck to them. <laughs> right. So, look, um, interest rates and property prices don't really correlate very well. There's a lot of other economic factors, um, even unemployment rates. I, I remember when it was 11.5% unemployment, property prices were going up. When it was 9%, interest, property prices were going up. It doesn't make a difference. What matters is the fundamentals. Is there more properties or more people? If there's more people and less properties, doesn't matter. Anything else doesn't really matter because people need to live somewhere. People need somewhere to live. Yeah. They're so, not going to go live in a tent. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> if I'm buying off the plan and there are delays in registration of the land, how to overcome those challenges? Look, unfortunately, that's um, one of those things that's going to happen at the moment. Mm. And look, at the moment, it's really challenging. You know, and hopefully you've got someone good to help you negotiate what you need to negotiate just to make sure you're kept safe. But it's one of those things that can happen. There's a delay. Now, a delay is not that bad as long as they're not putting the price up on the property. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if you lock in a price today and then it gets built in the future, you're going to make a profit. But the key is, is getting the right development and getting the right off the plan. So buying off the plan, you've got to be really, really careful and get the right property. That's the important part because a lot of the off-the-plan off, off stuff are in massive, massive suburbs, brand-new suburbs with just thousands of properties, and there's always a bit of an oversupply initially, so it slows down your growth for a little bit. But if you buy off-the-plan or you buy brand-new in boutique suburbs in large capital cities or large regional centres or any capital city really, then you're going to do well. And that's the key. The key, the key is boutique. You've got to be boutique. That's the key. And it makes it a lot harder because, you know, buying off the plan in a massive subdivision with thousands of properties, that's a pretty easy thing to do. Buying something boutique is difficult because it's gone by the time it goes to, you know, realestate.com or domain. It's not there anymore. The boutique stuff goes off market many times. And we've seen that situation many times. Even now at the moment, we've got... Um, um, a developer, and I won't mention his name, but what he's doing is actually going through a divorce at the moment. And he's selling a lot of his stuff now because he has to. And that's an opportunity. Now, he's not going to go on realestate.com. He doesn't want everyone knowing his business. He's going to do it differently. Mm, absolutely. Great. Do you expect APRA to further intervene over the next few years? Look, it wouldn't surprise me if they do. Good old APRA. So, look... APRA love getting involved because the thing is... They love putting their two cents in everywhere, don't they? The fact of it is the RBA used to do all the meddling and now APRA have jumped on board so now they've got RBA and the APRA, so, which are two things that are sort of putting handbrakes and things. So, yes, I expect them to intervene again, yes. Okay. At what point do you think buying in a trust when you own a business and have some risk? I have three investment properties outside of a trust. What are the risks in buying in a trust versus in your own name? Yes. Um, Very common question we always get. Common question. However, I can't answer it in such a short period. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm getting our tax specialist on in about three or four weeks. 
stay tuned because yep. Yep. we're going to do a whole session on this because there's yeah. a lot to unpack. Unfortunately, he was supposed to come on tonight, but he had a, a few personal challenges at the moment. And uh, we're just giving you a bit of time. He's really good at what he does. He's going to come back in a few weeks and we're going to go through the whole... The guys, you got me instead. <laughs> yep. So what I think I should do is show people the cash flow calculator. Not the cash flow calculator, the, the retirement calculator. And we're going to use a bit of an example, Christina. I'm going to get Ooh, you the chat. Yes, you're going to, I want you to pretend that you're, you know, you know, investing in property or ready to retire. I don't have to pretend that, George. I do invest in property. Yeah, no, no, no. I know you actually, you just settled today, didn't you? <laughs> actually, I did settle on a property today. High so. five. Yes. Celebration is booked in for tomorrow night as tomorrow is Friday. So I okay. thought that was very appropriate. <laughs> Let's have a look at this here. Okay. So years until retirement. How long until, until retirement? I want to just use an example. Just just uh, give me a person. I can, um, yeah, give you, let's just call this person. Um, give me a person that's real, but don't give me the real name. Okay, yeah, yeah. Trying to think of someone now. Yeah, I want everyone to watch this. <laughs> I, I'll do it off the most common sort of yeah. thing. Yep, yeah. how many years until retirement? Yeah, and how many um, years until and they want to retire? I'm going to give you access to this at the end of this session. If you want access to this, just type in, Hashtag retire free, and I'll give you a copy of the spreadsheet. But not only that, I'll give you the workbook and the video training, which I'm actually doing right now. Is there any way, George, you can shift it over to the middle of the screen because it's way over on the left at the moment? Yep, that's the same, but that's okay. Um, zoom in a little bit, maybe that might help. I'm zooming in as much as it wants to. <laughs> Okay. You, your screen's just way too big, but that's okay. You know, so, I've got a very big screen. I think 10 years that's until right. retirement is a pretty common goal. Um, it's realistic for a lot of people. Some people want to do it sooner, but I think a 10-year time frame is very realistic. Yeah, I think uh, 10 years is very realistic. Um, also, look, a lot of people, they want to retire in three or four years, mm -hmm. and I just say... That's a bit, you know. For some people it is possible. Some people it's not. It really depends on a number of things like your income. Let's use the example. I'm just, um, you know, putting a pseudo name on as Tom. So Tom wants to retire in 10 years. So we've got the 10 there, estimated years in retirement. Well, let's say Tom is let's 30 and wants to retire by 40. Okay, yep. And so, it's going to be 40 years of retirement? Yeah, at least. Maybe even 45. That's a long time. Let's, let's, let's keep it simple, 40 years. Okay, we'll make it simple. 40 years in retirement. Desired income is 200000 Yep. Wow, this is pretty good. Asset savings. Okay, let's put this up. Let's bump it up. Tom's got a lot of money. Let's make it easy. Oh, by the way, We've got a client who joined our program just, just less than five years ago, who was 69. His name's Michael. Awesome guy, lovely guy. And I actually, he came over to our house the other day and we did a bit of a review. And he actually has replaced his income through property in under five years. How do we get rid of these big name tags in the bottom bus? Because it's just covering my face. I don't know, George. <laughs> okay, you don't know. 
That's right. Let's focus. Let's get back to the calculator. So asset-wise, so if Tom's 30, let's say he's got maybe one house, a bit of money yep. in the bank by now. So let's say he's got 500000 Um. Oh, a, bit, super. a bit high for a 30-year-old to have super, that much. Super. And investment properties. He's got one investment property worth 400000 Yeah. This is a, a very ambitious Tom. <laughs> so total contribution is 900000 all right? But to retire for 40 years at $200,000 a year, you're going to need a total of $8 million. Mm. Right? So a lot of people don't realise that, how much it costs. Because when you've got money in the bank, because this is assuming you're putting your money in the bank, right? When you've got money in the bank, um, and we're saying it's going to make 5% per year, right? And most people won't have the investment property. So let's see what it says when you delete the investment property. Well, I know what it's going to say. It's probably more realistic. So the, shortfall, the shortfall is $7.1 million. So to get to his goal in 10 years, he's going to have to put away $710,000 per year, which is 13000 a week. It's a lot. Look, and it is huge. It is mind-boggling. Let's cut it down to 100000 Right? You're still going to need $5,000 a week. To get there. If you remove the investment property, what does it say? Just delete that one. 6000 Okay. Right? So it keeps going up. Now, this is if you're doing traditional saving, right? It's very different when you're talking about property because property's got a lot more power. But the fact of it is, and this is why I want everyone to look at this, because I need people to see this and realise that if you're going to be putting money in the bank, one, if you put your money, if you had a million dollars, if you had a million dollars in the bank today, 500,000, I'm going to go through the numbers. Actually, let me share my screen. I'm going to share my iPad and go through a few examples to show people. And look, guys, when you look at this, you might feel despondent. You might feel like it's a bit of a, a bit of a wake up call. It's a wake up call. It's, it's a massive wake up call. If this guy, if this guy, who's got six grand, five grand a week? Let's say he's got that investment property. One of them. Who's got five? And this is assuming he puts that um, investment property into the bank, not not keep it as investment property, because if it's investment property, it'd be different. But let me share my other screen. Oh, you put four million in the investment property. Yep, that's not really going to work. <laughs> okay. Need to delete a few zeros there. Yep. Okay. So I've stopped sharing the screen, but I still can't see myself. Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay. So I wanted to show you guys that, not to scare the shit out of you, but yes, to scare the shit out of you, to show you that. This is, if you're saving for retirement, you're screwed, right? And the fact of it is, this is a fact. Whatever you know about investing, whatever you know about make retiring 
you know, retiring on a good income. If you want to do it the old way, I just showed you, it's impossible, right? The system has been rigged against you. It's not your fault, right? They didn't teach this at school. At school, they taught us, you know, don't collaborate, do your own work, work hard, copy, um, be on time, do your work, and then they teach you, you know, save money, right? Yeah. Everything you've been taught is holding you back from becoming financially free. And if you don't know the rules, you don't know how to play the game. Now, the game has changed, and but the problem is they don't want you to know the truth. You don't get taught this at school. The big corporates don't teach you this. The banks don't teach you this. You know, I remember when we were at school, we had the Commonwealth Bank come in and gave us these little piggy banks and saving money, right? And the fact of it is, right, you can never save yourself to wealth. I was talking to Robert Kiyosaki the other day because we're having a, a work, next week, Robert and I are catching up for a, a one-day workshop with them. We're filming together. And I was, we were talking about, you know, his rich dad and his poor dad. And he was saying his poor dad worked in a school. He was a teacher. And his poor dad saved and never earned a lot of income, kept saving and being tight and retired on the pension, even though he worked hard. Now, his rich dad, his rich dad was actually, because um, his dad was a teacher, his rich dad was the father of this kid that went to school with him who was an entrepreneur. And his father said, look, I don't know about, you know, about money. You've got to learn off whatever the kid's name's father is. And that's where Robert Kiyosaki learned from, from his rich dad. And his rich dad, he didn't work nearly as hard. He just worked smarter. He invested in investments. Well, right? it's all about getting the right strategy. And like you said, working smarter, not harder. You could work your ass off and still retire on the pension and end up pretty much yes. broke. Well, look, my parents worked their ass off. That's the fact of it. They did. And didn't take get them anywhere. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen again and talk to you more about this because this is so important, guys. Remember, make sure if you're interested in checking this out to get your calculator and get this training, type in hashtag retire free. I'm going to do the full training, but what I'm going to do, I'm not just going to show you how shit everything is. <laughs> I'm going to show you. Oh God. <laughs> look, what I want to do is I want to show you, one, what you've learned is not going to help you at all. And saving money is not going to help. And my parents spent 25 years paying off their mortgage, right? And then I ended up paying it off for them. They did it old school. Right? So I'm going to share my screen and go through some numbers and just show you how this works. Because we really need to do things in a useful way. Absolutely. So you look at this, right? Let's say you've got five. Let me get this pen and make it a little bit thinner. This is much better than my other screen. Christina, you're going to be happier with my handwriting. It looks awesome. Much better, hey? Okay. Let's say you've got $500,000. Mm -hmm. And you put it in the bank. Okay, for it to double, how long is it going to take you? 83 years at this rate. It's a long time. Yes, 83 is a long time. So most people on this call, unless you've got some new longevity pill. And a million dollars in 83 years will be worth a lot less too. Yeah, because of uh, in 83 years, you're going to make a million dollars. 
actually 500,000, you're going to make $500,000. And look, interest rates are probably going to go back up again. You'll make 500,000, you'll have a million. You'll have a million, you make 500,000, but interest rates will probably go back up again. Hmm. And they're going to be averaging around 5%. So you're going to make 1 million times 105. You're going to be making $50,000 a year income in 83 years' time. After 83 years. After 83 years. After 83 years. <laughs> yep. That's at this current interest rate at the moment if it slowly creeps up to 5%. Oh, that is just depressing. Right. But let's say it, it creeps up quicker. Maybe you get there in 40 years, right? Still, a lot of people on, on here, there's some 20-year-olds, you're going to be 60, right? Now, we had a 64-year-old join mm -hmm. just over five years. He's got three properties. His name is Michael Beale. He sounds like Michael Caine. He uh, comes from England. He's got an amazing accent. He sounds just like the actor, right? Very smart man. And he joined our program just over five years ago at 64 years. So he's um, nearly 75 now. And he's making $50,000 a year off his investment properties. Mm -hmm. Now, in five years instead of 40 years. Not only that, he's only working part-time. He makes more money out of his properties than he does working. And he's actually doing what he loves. He's actually doing something he loves. So that's what I call smart. You know, he worked hard, invested, does what he loves now, and gets paid more money to do nothing, but he still does something because you need to do something. You can't do nothing. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. So that 500000 right, if you put it in stocks, right, stocks average about 7% per year, right? The challenge with stocks is sometimes they go down very quickly. Down to zero. Um, some stocks do go down to zero and other stocks go down 50%. So back in 2008, there was a thing called the GFC and stocks, it, well, all these people that were ready to invest in property, not in property, all these people that were ready to retire and had all their money in their superannuation, in their, what do they, what do they call it in America? I don't know. But most people lost 50% of all their money. And a lot of people couldn't retire anymore. They just didn't have enough. After saving, putting all this money in their superannuation for 30, 40 years straight, and then suddenly, a year before they retire, gone. They call it like the Y2K or something. No. In America. Baby boomers, baby boomers. No, no, I'm talking about the super in America. Um, no, no, the Y2K, is, um, that, was a, that was a bug. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sounds similar. Yep. So, let's say if you put it in Bitcoin, you could make a lot of money. You could always lose it all too. Um, about three and a half years ago, when Bitcoin started having a rally and a lot of people asked me about it, you know, people were saying, what do you do? And I said, look, 
Bitcoin's one of those things where you can put in half percent or 1% of your wealth, right? Let's say you've got $100,000 in the bank. That means that you can put in um, $1,000 into Bitcoin. Now, if you make money, great. If you lose it, who cares? That's where Bitcoin is because it's too risky. There was a guy in Sweden and he sold his family home, put it all in Bitcoin. He was all excited and Bitcoin did nothing. Wow. And it it went in, went to half. So what happened was in December, um, when he bought it, he bought it in November pretty high. December it went right up. January went straight down and ended up with nothing. And he couldn't wait out because the problem is you have to wait a long time. We don't know what's going to happen. Now, let's say property, okay? So we've got $500,000. Because this is going to answer the question, how many properties do you need to retire? Because for that retirement calculator, you need like $9 million in the bank to retire, mm. right? And that's at 5% interest, not now. Now, today, it's like much higher. You need like $20 million in there, right? Crazy. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how many properties it take you to retire so you can work it out. So since we're using the $500,000 mark, we're going to start with the $500,000, right? So let's say we've got a house here worth $500,000. This house worth $500,000 is going to get you around about 5% return. So 500000 times 5 equals $25,000 income per year. So if you've got that $500,000, put into a house, you'll make $25,000 a year. Pretty cool, hey? After how many years, George? If you had $500,000 cash, you would make it straight away. We're talking oh, cash. You're saying owning outright. Yeah. So, for example, if you put it in the bank, yeah. you'd make $5,000 a year. Okay. Right? In a house, you'd make $25,000 a year. Right. But... This is the funny, this is the thing that people don't realize. At the same time when you make that 25000 this house is actually going up in value every year. And just on that 25000 are you making that from the rent? From rent. Okay. Right? Because you average around 5%. You know, yeah. four and a half to five and a half percent, that's what it is. So, but you're making that 5%, but this house is going up in value. So in the bank, you're making 5000 which is not much at all. But the 500 is staying the same. It's not doing anything. Right? But have you noticed this is different? Let me show you. So properties double every seven to 10 years on average. Sometimes longer, right? Sometimes they might take 11, 12 years, whatever. I just want to talk averages and I want to use the number 10 because it's simple. So in 10 years, this house bigger because it's grown equity, right? What happens? It's a story house. <laughs> it's gone up. It's like a monopoly house, right? And now it's worth a million dollars, right? So even though you're making 25000 each year, that twenty five keeps going up slightly. You're missing a zero on your million. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> so 25000 keeps going up every year as well. 
as rents go up, but also the actual house goes up in value. So you're doubling up because with this in the bank, the 500,000 stays still. This 5,000 goes up slightly each year. That's about it. So this is like a snail. But after 40 years, this turns into a million, but this gets there in 10. The house is a lot quicker. Yes. So let me continue because it gets more exciting. So to, to double in 10 years, it's going to average around 7% per year. So that means that in the first year, we get a house worth 500000 This is going to get good, guys. There's a big payoff here. I, I want everyone to get this aha moment. Because it's already good. Yeah, but no, no, no. Wait, wait till you get this. When you guys get this, right? So if you need, if you're making 25000 off one property, right, worth 500000 that means for each $500,000 worth of property, you're making 25000 So remember that retirement calculator before we needed around $9 million to get in the bank account mm-hmm. to make 200000 Well, with, with property, how much do you need? You only need 10 or 20%. You need $4, $4 million worth of property. Right. Now, that sounds big. So let me, let me do the numbers for you and show you how it works. Okay? So 7%, this property goes up 7%. So that means 500,000 times 7%. What's that? 500 times 0.07. That means it's gone up an extra 35,000. Are you drawing on the iPad? Because I can't see it. No, I'm drawing. I'm using the calculator. So year one. It's gone to $535,000. That looks like a little egg. Egg cup. <laughs> okay, let me <laughs> let me turn it into a better looking house. Right, so it's gone up to 535000 Right? Correct? Yes, with you. So how much money, what percentage have we made? We've made 7%. Right? But you're, you're going to say, but George, you said the stock market makes you 7% anyway, correct? Mm-hmm. So it's about the same. But what's safer, a house or stock market? I mean, have you ever heard safe is the stock market or safe is Bitcoin or safe is the casino? No. No. Have you heard of the, pro- the thing called safe as houses? Yes. You've heard that. Please type it in the chat. Safe as houses, right? So this is pretty cool, right? And we're running late because we've got another show to go to. But I, can you ask one of the team members to start it? Because I really want to finish this training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to have to go to our private group session. Yes, but what I'm saying is I'm going, to, I'm going to extend this a little bit longer and get someone else to go to the private group to start it with. Okay, please. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Charmaine can do that. Fantastic. So, so this is really cool that we're going to make a million dollars on this. It's going to go up to a million in 10 years. But we're going to do something smarter than that, right? This house here, instead of putting 500,000, I'm going to put in 100,000. Right? And I'm going to do this, 100,000. And then I'm going to get the bank to lend me the rest of the money. Anyway, 
So then what's going to happen is after year one, it's going to go up $35,000. However, I've put in 100000 and I've made 35000 So what's the return? It's not 7% anymore, is it? No. It's actually 35%. Right? Now, 35% return on property is pretty amazing because you can't get that in the stock market unless you really speculate. And you can turn that off, Christina. You can't do that in the property Thirty-five percent. So what we're doing is we're actually getting five times the return, right? Which is pretty exciting. So then what happens is, see, it's five hundred thousand. We divide it up. We get one property, and then year two, we get another property for five hundred thousand. Now, what's happening with this property? is we've got a loan on here. So in 10 years, this property here, we own 500,000. It's worth a million. We put 100,000 in. We've got a 400,000 dollar loan. So we actually own 600,000 and the bank owns 400,000 of the loan, of the property. So we've actually got 600,000 equity. So what's happening, that means, is out of that 600,000, times 0.05 is we're going to get 30,000 income out of that property, right? But let's say it's gone terribly wrong and we're only getting 25,000 because sometimes rents lag behind property prices going up. So 25,000. Now, this 35% return it's an interest-only loan. Yes, it's an interest-only loan because what's happening is we're going to get the tenant and the tax man and tax man to pay for this property. We're not going to put one cent to have out of pocket. Actually, we're going to be making a profit. I was recently interviewing one of our members. Um, his name's Harmy Williams from Geelong and he owns a concrete company. I was interviewing recently and he invested several properties with us, and he's getting $170 per week from day one, and he's made in the last 18 months 300% return on his properties. But you know, I don't want to show you guys 300% return. Let's stick to this 35 because it's still good enough, but sometimes it's even bigger. And you know, who would think getting 300% return would be good? How awesome would that be? Well, that's the sort of figures people are getting at the moment. And that's because it's a bit of a boom. But it's going to average out to, you know, 35% over, over the long term. That's the fact of it. And if you're making 300, that's just lucky. So each property makes you 25,000. And you need a deposit to put in the property. But then the tenant tax man pays off. Because what happens is each of these properties, we're getting the tax man to give us around about $85 per week. 
They're going to subsidize this. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of negative gearing or positive gearing, but negative gearing is bad because you lose money everywhere. It sucks. And our positive gearing sucks because you need to get a property in an area that's not going to go up in value. So what I've invented is it's called negative gearing, positive cash flow. And this is what the rich people do. You know, the, rich, the wealthy investors, right, they don't lose money to save tax. They lose money on paper and then make money in real life. So what's happening is in my properties, when I buy a property, on paper, I'll lose money on this property. It's costing me money on paper as far as the tax is concerned. And it's totally legal. But I'm actually getting money paid. I'm getting hundreds of dollars in my pocket every week from the property. While that property is actually going up, while it's growing, it's not even costing me money, it's making money. Now, that is amazing. Nothing's like that. So, how many houses do you need to retire? Let's go in and close this down. Okay, so, if you buy each house worth 500000 that's going to get you around $25,000 income. So that means for every house is a multiple of 25,000. So one house equals 25,000 income. And if you got two, that's 50,000. Three houses will give you $75,000 income. Four houses will give you 100,000 and so on. But 10 properties will give you the magic number of 200,000 minimum, if not more. But really what happens is the reason I've cut that 30,000 to 25,000 is because you're not gonna bowl 10 at the beginning of that 10 year period. So to sort of balance that out, we're cutting it down to 200,000 to make it more realistic. Because some of the properties wouldn't have grown as much, some would grow more. So, what you can do, what about choices? I guess our choices are we can, you know, put in $7,692 a week for the next 10 years, or we can put in that, what was that number again? $7,690 a week for the next 10 years out of your pocket. Now, I don't know who could afford that. I couldn't do that. I can't do that. Or what we can do is buy investment property, high growth, passive cash flow assets. And what we can do is buy these properties and instead of taking money out of our pocket, get out, get the tax ban and the tenant to pay for it. And in 10 years, get 10 properties and get the 200 grand. Now, what do you think is easier? The old way or the new way? Can you see that the old way of saving for retirement, the old way of doing this is just never going to work? Right? And if anyone's got any questions, please ask them now because I'm about to jump into a private group, go through some training with them. But you get that this is, this is the way to do it. Now, the fact of it is, this is the deal. I've done it. And I've helped hundreds of people do this already. So this is not theory. This is practice. You know, it's great when you hear people out there talking about theory and saying, oh, you know, you can buy a property and then you can flip it and do this and do that. I'm talking about you can buy a property and use your leverage and use a tenant and tax plan to do it all for you. So guys, hope you enjoyed this, this session.
Now, what I want to do is I want to give you guys the worksheet, the calculator, and all that as a package, as a training. And I'd like to give it to you for free. All you're going to do is type in hashtag retirefree and my team will send it out to you. You know, I think um, I think it'd be very valuable for, for you to get really clear. Now, the thing is, some of you may be confronted by this, but I think there's a lot of value in you knowing exactly you know, how much you need to retire and then what it's going to take in the old way, how many properties you need to get the new way so you can get it, you know, get it through your head so you know that, right? So look, what I want to do is I just want to say thank you so much for joining me tonight. You know, peace and love to everyone. Thank you so much. And I hope you're all well. You know, I love my Thursday nights. Um, I'm going to go join our um, inner circle, Black Belt on the Circle, where we're teaching them some really ninja tactics on property. So what I'm showing you now, what I show you there, that's where you can get up to 35% return. Now, 35% return is pretty high in anyone's standard. It's amazing, especially when you compare it to anything else that you're getting these days. But like I said, we got members getting 100%, 200%, return with some of our more advanced strategies. So hope you're well. Thank you so much and look forward to seeing you next Thursday. Remember, we're here every Thursday. Come along and join us. This is my favorite time of the week. I love joining you guys. Finally, I'm back and I'm excited. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for all our listeners around the world. If you found this podcast valuable, please share with someone that might find this useful and please join our tribe of purpose-driven investors, increasing income and impact in our Facebook group, Positive Property. Please note, we have a multi-million dollar property portfolio and a passive income. I've become incredibly successful in investing in property. The fact of it is, however, many people may find investing in property challenging. It's not easy, and it takes a lot of hard work. However, becoming educated to make an informed decision and having the right advisors gives you the tools you need to succeed. The most important part of this formula, however, is to actually take action and apply that knowledge. It is important to understand the information I share is of a general nature only and is not taking into account your unique circumstances. If you're considering investing in any asset class, you need to seek the advice of an independent professional advisor who will be able to look at your specific situation. Be sure your advisor has actually achieved the kind of results you're seeking. Many won't have, so beware. We've taken great care putting those educational resources together. We'd be surprised if you didn't find any errors or omissions. If you do, our legal team says we have to say we're not responsible for those. In fact, as with all things, even your success, we're not responsible. That responsibility always has and always will come down to you and the actions you take. We're passionate about supporting you in that process and helping you increase your ability to create wealth, live the life you desire, provide all the things you dream of for you and your family. Thank you.